You know, we are in a series called Faith Walk. This is our second week of oh, how do I follow after God? How do I go about this daily adventure of life with him? Right? Faith Walk. So to get started, I just thought I'd give you a little bit of an update as well. Uh, many of you know uh, we are a planting church in all we do, right? I mean, this church started as a plant in 2006. We are a planting church. We do it in our small groups where we have leaders that we find who are excited about leading and stepping out and we help train and then we set them out and we had, uh, set some people around them and build another small group. We're planting a small group and we continue to plant all over this church underneath the umbrella of this church and sometimes we even plant outside of like Harvest Bible Chapel, Denver. And uh, so many of you know Denver is... Well, it's not that close to here. Did you know that? Yeah. So, but we are planting there. We have, uh, we have a senior pastor and his wife who have come out of this church, Jeff and Kim Schwartzentraub, and they are on the ground in Denver now, been there for several months, and I've uh, been really prayerfully going through a faith walk, a very stretching faith walk in the midst of saying, Lord, is this the place you want a church and what do you want of it and what leaders should be a part of it? And they've been continuing to grow that church prayerfully under God's leading there. And it's been an exciting faith walk for them. Just so you know, a little bit of an update. They are now up to approximate somewhere in the 60 adult leaders and probably 30 to 40 kids. So, you know, you're looking at close to 100 people already kind of participating in that church. And they're just meeting on Sunday evenings and praying together and doing a little bit of time in the word and challenging each other on how they could fill in and get this thing launched. Launch Sunday is now set. It's set for November 7th. It's coming up fast. So, yeah. Be, uh, do me a favor. Be praying. There's a lot to be going on in the next few weeks, all right? So just be praying for them as they're putting together the final touches on children's ministry and greeting and ushering and worship team and, and all that goes into making an impact service on a Sunday morning and all that goes into being a body for Jesus Christ. Harvest Bible Chapel, Denver. It's been an exciting adventure. Uh, more exciting for us because we can just watch from afar and, and Jeff gets to live the daily, yeah, what now is going on and having to figure all that out. You know what I mean? We're going to look at one of those today. The what's going on? And, and did you know that a lot of times God puts us into those? Like you experience the triumph. And so then he says, time for a little stretching or testing. And uh, as we go on our faith walk, we need to be able to answer this question. How can I truly passionately follow his lead in the midst of this faith walk even when it gets a little bit questionable even when some tough times might come up even when it didn't quite go the way i wanted this thursday or this friday or whatever we're going to take a look at that today with abraham in genesis chapter 12 so turn with me if you will to genesis 12 uh, verses 10 to 20 we got the ushers coming forward and they're going to have bibles in their hands if you need a bible just raise your hand and we'll get one to you okay we're going to walk verse by verse through this so if you need a bible just raise your hand and they'll get one to you genesis 12 10 through 20 you know we got two different points here one's a how and one's a what when it comes to following the lead of our Lord, one's a how and one's a what. So the how, let's cover that first. Walk by faith, not by personal control and scheming. Walk by faith, not by personal control and scheming. 
That sounds kind of harsh, Tim. Yeah, check this out. All right, I'll start in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now remember, Abram has been told, it's time to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles, because man, do I have a place for you, right? I've got this spot picked out, and it is going to be unbelievable, and the nations will be blessed through you, and you will become a nation, and... Oh, yeah, and there's going to be a famine. And, right? And, and I'm sure Abraham's thinking, what is this all about? I, I wasn't forewarned about this famine thing. And, and, and is this really God's plan? And what should I be doing in it? And what's my next step? And have you ever been there on a faith walk? And you're kind of throwing a little bit of a curveball from what you expected. God's got it fully under control. But this was something a little different than where you were at. Notice it says here, there was a famine, meaning a complete lack of food. How bad? Well, it was a severe famine, in fact, right? We see right after it. So what did Abram do? Well, he went south. He went down to Egypt. When all troubles come, go south, right? So welcome to Florida. I don't know. Right? He went south to Egypt. He was fully aware that somehow in Egypt, there was food. I'm not sure how he knew this. Maybe they traveled around a little bit, or maybe they heard word from Bedouins traveling by. I have no idea. Somehow, he was aware that Egypt was a place to go. He decided, that's a place I'm going to go. How long was he going to be there? Well, not real long. How do you know that? Because they use the word sojourn. That word means literally to visit for a short length of stay, but planning on leaving. That's what it means, okay? So he went there for a sojourn. Okay, his time was long enough that the food problem could get fixed. That's really what the game plan was. Uh, question. Was it okay for him to go to Egypt? If you know that answer, let me know later. Okay, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I've looked around. I've studied a lot. I will tell you this. My position is I think he was stretching it when he went to Egypt. Why? Because of some of the things that come up right after it. We'll talk about them in a little bit here, okay? And and you can say, well, I've got a commentary that says it isn't wrong to go to Egypt. I know, I have one too. Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure. Again, sometimes in the Old Testament, it would be handy if God said, and this was bad, right? It would be handy to have some of those. I will tell you, it does look like Abram's probably taking this into his own hands. Well, how do you know? Well, there's no recorded, hey, let's set up an altar to the Lord here and cry out to him. Remember how that was twice recorded in just a couple of verses last week. And and now it's, yeah, he just went. There's no statement of prayer. There's no statement of God's investment in it. And in fact, we see quite the opposite. We see some problems that come out of it, probably taking it into his own hands. Okay. Always have to be careful when we're not prayerful. Uh, I just made that up. That actually rhymed, kind of. All right. You know, when believers are reduced to worldly common sense, we'll often miss God's will. Think about that. When believers are just reduced to worldly common sense, not prayerful, not working through what we see in God's word, not comparing it against what otherwise believers have to say, just common sense, just what would the world come to? Well, I'm coming to that conclusion, too. Sometimes we're missing God's will in the midst of it 
be cautious for that. All right. So that was his first problem. He's going down to Egypt because of the food. Second problem. Verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, uh, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. This wasn't just to get some credit. I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Verse 13, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Notice how he puts your sake at the end of it, right? I'm going to die, so I need you to lie. And I need you to tell them that I'm your sister. Okay, yes, it's not a total lie. Genesis chapter 20, verse 12, we find out that actually she is his half-sister. His father, but not his mother, together had Sarah. So there is some relation there, okay? So it's not a total lie. It's just a, I'm going to avoid some of the truth of the lie. Some of you are like, wait a minute, he married his sister? Is that biblical? (laughs) Just remember this. Over the course of time, our genetics and our DNA are collapsing in the midst of the sin-wrought world. Remember that, okay? And the idea of closer family members being together early on in the perfection of humanity was less of a problem. And it's more of a problem now, okay? There's a lot to be said for what's going on in genetics and all that. I'm not even going into that today. That's not the main point. Just know this. Yes, it was biblical. Yes, Sarah was to be with Abram, okay? In the midst of it, we have this statement here in verse 11. I know that you are a woman who's hot. That's what he says, right? I know you're beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me. I love this part. They're worried about the fact that they might take a woman who's married, but they're not worried about killing people, right? Like Abram's really concerned about, he's like, they have certain moral fiber and it's not real high. You know what I'm saying? Like we're at risk in here. And I want you to know that while I feel we're going to the right spot, It's a dangerous spot. And so we're going to handle this. We're going to tell a half truth. We're not going to tell the whole truth. Do you ever understand the plan? And now I don't know how many people are with him with all of his family and everybody following. And it's like, do we understand the plan? Right? And everybody's going to have to get on the same page of we're telling that story. And here we go. All right. He says in verse 13, say you are my sister, as we've already talked about, that is true, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. Let's just summarize it this way. Abram was spot on. He called what they would see and what they would want to do. And how often do we justify our own actions by saying, see, I told you that's what would go down. So that's why I didn't quite do what I was supposed to do. Yeah, I kind of schemed and yeah, I kind of controlled people. And yeah, it wasn't exactly maybe the most God honoring steps. But I'm telling you, I knew what was going to happen. So I... Did less than what God wanted. Are you there? 
How are you doing in your faith walk? Are you ending up in those moments where you are questioning and challenging and controlling because you are spot on and being able to see how they'd think and act? We have to be careful. Maybe God had a very other plan. And by predicting that they'd live to their lowest common denominator, he basically drove it to that. Notice it says that the Egyptians saw that the woman was beautiful, and then they passed that on to the princes of the Pharaoh, and then the Pharaoh finally saw it, and they were all very happy that she was hot, right? I mean, this is recorded. She has to be kind of happy, right? In all of Scripture, she's recorded as being viewed as completely beautiful by an entire nation, right? That's got to be sort of uplifting. It's a good day, right? I mean, that's a nice thing to hear on the one hand, right? On the other hand, we have to be a little careful because, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Bummer. Yes, we've created a little half-truth, and yes, it will save Abram's hide. Mm, But it isn't helping Sarah very much. It's actually put her really in harm's way. God's promise is supposed to be through Abram and Sarah. And now Sarah is taken into Pharaoh's house. Hmm. Maybe this wasn't the best of plans. You know what I mean? It's one of those where Abram probably is sitting there at the end of the evening going... Well, it sort of worked. I mean, I was worried about dying and I'm not dead, right? We can definitely say that's a plus. And and I did tell you that they'd want to take her and I was right about that. So, so, so I guess we were, we were right in this then. We're, we're good. Abram taking his position, telling the half truth, controlling the circumstances getting a less than desired outcome at the moment verse 16 and for her sake he the pharaoh dealt well with abram he dealt well with abram now what this really means is in the culture at that time the closest living male relative basically would get this element of dowry kind of think of it that way this sort of payment and this thank you for the amazingness of this woman that i get to be with and so i'm going to lavish some things upon you in the midst of her now becoming part of my family and so abram is now being benefited and he's receiving it says he received sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants And female servants and female donkeys and camels. Abram is getting stuff from Pharaoh. Think about this for a second. Who was the person that Abram ends up breaking the covenant with? Remember where he says, "Ah, I don't know if I trust that we're going to have a child with Sarah. So he ends up sleeping with Hagar, a female servant, an Egyptian female servant. Not exactly sure where Hagar comes into Abram's life, but it probably is a really good guess that it's right here. That in the moment where Pharaoh is lavishing upon one of the Egyptian servants is Hagar. That's very possible, very probable, uh, very much a bummer. As we start taking things into our own hands, life gets more complex. 
you just have to remember that. Now remember, God promises, remember two things we said last week, he gives two commands to Abram. Go, be a blessing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you amazing. Your name is going to be great. So even in the midst of some pretty poor decision making, he still is having this lavishing upon that's taking place. There's some giving that's going on and God could be a part of this. Again, it doesn't say, and this was good. But what we do see is some blessing coming out of it. There's some good things happening. Isn't this a lot like life? As we're walking along and we're trying to figure out if what we did just messed it up or if it helped it. And some things happened that seemed to be blessing me. And I think that's good because getting stuff can be a good thing. And But maybe that wasn't good because, man, the complexities of all this stuff that came into our ownership and our possession. And, and now what am I responsible for? And Abram is living out the personal control and scheming brings some high confusion. The common sense can often lead to a little bit more struggle. He's wrestling with a few things. It sure would have helped if this had just been one giant prayer moment and everything was falling into his lap so he could go, absolutely, God wants us here. This is where we're supposed to be. You know, top two reasons we scheme instead of trust and faith. Top two reasons we scheme. Number one. Uh, we confuse responsibility with concern. You ever heard those two words? We talk about them a lot in biblical counseling. Responsibility, concern. Okay, responsibility is like these are the things that are under my control. I need to be doing something with them. God is at work and I need to be working with him in the midst of my responsibilities. Okay, concerns, your responsibilities. <laughs> I need to be worried or helping or praying over. I need to be a part of a part of it biblically and that I'm saying, boy, I am concerned for you and I'd love to be a part of helping in that with you. But it's yours to do. A concern is one where I have to pray and let go. And a responsibility is one where I pray and engage. And when do we cause the scheming problems? When I say, yeah, I know this is a concern, but I will now weigh in. And so I'm going to manipulate or I'm going to control or I'm going to try to force you to do what you should be doing, in my opinion. And now I'm making your concern my responsibility and I'm beginning to try to wrap my arms fully around. And can you see how the problems come up? Responsibility versus concern. This is a big problem. When we get relationship problems going on, oftentimes we have somebody weighing in where there's a concern like it's a responsibility. Be careful with that. Okay. So that's the top one in scheming. Well, what's the second one? The second one is, uh, to put it in short, you trust yourself too much. Uh, My strengths are my strengths. And because they're my strengths, I will use my strengths. And now I really think I got it together and I'm really going after it. And so guess what starts happening? I start using my strength to make an impact. Give me an example. Okay. Imagine I'm a teacher and so I know that there's something needing to happen in this area and this person doesn't quite get it. I'll, I'll teach them. I'll help them understand it. So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to use my strength of being able to communicate facts and, and I try to walk exactly through with them exactly what they need to. And I'm not really worrying about their heart. I'm teaching what's going on and okay, that's an example. Or here's another example. I'm a leader. 
I help take people and move them towards a spot. So guess what I do really well? Control them, right? I'm going to go move these people. And God may not want them moved, but I want them moved. And I'm not worrying about what God wants. And my inklings are usually pretty on. And so I'm trusting my inklings and I'm going to move you. Or or maybe uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a caretaker. I love having the mercy side. I'm not this heavy leader teacher. I just come alongside and nurture. And, and so I just, I'm mercy. And when they come in, it's just like, I'm like warm butter that melts over them like a warm piece of toast. And, and I'm just, I'm there for them. And, and people feel that and they love that, right? And, and as this, I'm just this merciful person. And in the midst of being merciful, well, I kind of forget if God maybe wants to challenge a little bit. I'm just being merciful. And, and so all I bring is the soft and the warm and the, and all of a sudden I've enabled that person who is stuck in sin. We have to be really careful because when we lean to our strength, we actually will oftentimes create the biggest problem. Top two reasons we scheme, we confuse responsibility with concern. We lean to our own strength too much. You know, here's a quote from Dr. Strahan. He was talking about leaning to our own strength too much. The Edinburgh Castle, it had dangerous cliffs on the one side, and then it had some gate entries and whatnot on the other side. Those dangerous cliffs were pretty much impenetrable. So they basically put nobody on that side guarding them. They put all their guards on the other side. Guess where the Edinburgh Castle was attacked from? From the dangerous cliff side where there were no guards. They found a way to climb the cliffs and break in. Okay. So his statement is this. Weakness of God's servants is most conspicuous where strength lies. Abraham the faithful sinned by unfaithfulness. Moses the meek by his anger. Solomon the wise by his folly. Elijah the valiant by his fear, Peter the bold, by his cowardice. Unguarded strength is double weakness. Dr. Strahan. Unguarded strength is double weakness. Be careful. All too often, we can end up leaning to our own abilities and we just become controllers or schemers. The faith walk, it isn't about ignoring your abilities. It's about saying, God, what do you want done in this moment? Is my ability something you want to be using or do you want me to just sit down and get out of the way? What's the plan? Where are you headed? Set up the altar where you're truly crying to the Lord and saying, what do you want done, Lord? How can I play a part? Might be your strengths that are used. It might be that he asks you to just sit down in this case. Prayerfully consider how God would have you participate. You know, another way to say it, Last week, we looked at, you know, the six ways you can determine the will of God. Make sure you walk through those. Make sure you're really thinking it and you're not just common sensing it or gut feeling it. Make sure you're really reasoning out what God's got for you. Okay. Question for you. In your faith walk, how are you doing? Are you scheming and controlling? Are you leaning on yourself too much? Are you prayerfully going after it and just looking for God's open doors and running with him? How you doing? Maybe another question. Are you watching out for the full attack against your strength? 
You know, the, I knew this would happen, and so I did this because I have strength here, and so I, well, frankly, I just controlled the whole thing. Is that where you're at? It's time to let it go. It's time to open up your hands wide and simply say this, God, we're on a faith walk, and I want to see you leading me. May I not just leap into the mist running ahead, but may I see you open up ahead of me exactly where I need to go. That is the faith walk. Trusting in him as you move. So the first is the how. No personal scheming, no controlling, just stepping as he steps. The second is the what. What exactly am I trusting God for? Trust God to work all things together for the good. Trust God to work all things together for the good. Check this out, verse 17. It says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh... And his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh. That doesn't sound like a very nice word, does it? It had to be very uncomfortable. How many times can you say, this last year we had a plague in our house? Can you, right? Like that's a pretty aggressive word. There's some bad stuff going down. What kind of plagues? I'm not sure. I would imagine it included things like disease. I would imagine that health was a big risk. I would imagine they had probably basic food issues and they probably had a few destruction things, you know, a house collapse, this, whatever. We don't know exactly what's going on, but we know that God's hand was the obvious author. It was too big. It was too regular. It was too nasty to be anything other. How do we know that? Well, first of all, because the Bible tells us. It says that the Lord afflicted them and they were great plagues. That's a pretty bad statement. But also because, verse 18, So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Notice it doesn't say, So God gave a dream to Pharaoh. Or so God communicated with Pharaoh through the means of. Or so Sarah finally capped it and said, It's me. I'm the wife. Like, Some of those could have happened. It doesn't really say what happened. But what we do know is through the plagues, God communicated, this is not good. And Pharaoh now becomes the main actor. Abram has now sat down. And that's a sad moment. Abram has been walked for hundreds of miles on a faith walk. And he had to take a seat as God now had to work this thing through Pharaoh. That's what's going on. God says, Pharaoh, I need for you to do some stepping up for me. I've got some messages to send to Abram, and you're going to send them. Not exactly sure how that all got communicated, but here's what he says. Pharaoh says, what is this you have done to me? Blames Abram for the position. Notice he doesn't say, what is this your God has done to me? Right? Like, what's with these plagues? Get your God off of me. Right? It's not that. It's you did this. You're the responsibility. I have found the cause and the effect and you're the cause and i'm saying please stop it now right so then he says why did you say she is my sister so that i took her for my what's it say there wife he didn't just take her into the house and say hey welcome you know we got some really nice clothing and cool colors and and we've already been over the you're hot thing and so welcome you know, and you make my house look good. And, and that's not what happened. Took her as his wife. And God said, no, this is not where we're going. I have a covenant and it will be otherwise. 
This is ending. And I mean now. Plagues. Communicating however he needed to, to make it clear. And Pharaoh's response was, please do the following. He says, now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Okay, take her and go. And then a little bit more. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. I don't want anything of yours. Get it all out of here. Do you understand? These plagues, they need to be done. And I am not keeping one thing of yours. Get it all off my property. And I mean now. Okay? That was the message. Now, where have we heard the message go before? Who had that message for Abram? God, right? It's like, hey, I've got a specific command for you. Go. Oh, and one more. Be a blessing. Right? Oh, you forgot the command? Now I'll get it through you to you through Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, command for you. Go. Say it with me. Go. Okay? Part of a faith walk is that you stay on it. Right? And Pharaoh was basically saying, you're off of it. He had a, an ungodly not honoring Yahweh, not following Yahweh guy who says, you're off the beaten trail. You need to get back on it. God, in the midst of some decisions that were not good, in the midst of some trusting that wasn't there, is still working it together and moving it towards growing Abram. Trust that God brings all things together for good. You know, I want to be a little careful with that phrase because we can misquote it and we can say all things work together for good. And then we change it to all things are going to end up good. And then we change it to all my circumstances are going to be good. And do you hear the subtle shift that I just did in that promise? And what have I just done? I've actually changed Christianity into this soft comfort walk. Follow God. And all your circumstances will be easy, right? Hey, it sells well. It's just not biblical. Okay? We really have to recognize that. What's biblical is this, that our almighty God has a plan. And that plan involves your heart, and it involves my heart, and it involves us working with him. What is that plan? Well, let's take a look at it. Turn with me to Romans 8, 28 to 30. Romans 8, 28 to 30. <clears throat> it's good to hear the pages turning. Romans eight twenty eight to thirty. This is the recording of that thing, that promise. All things work together for good. Here it says, starting in verse twenty eight, and we know. That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Let's just walk it for a second. Starting in verse 28 there. And we know. Not we think. Not It's sort of an allusion to this. Or, or we're kind of have an inkling that. it's This is something we know. K-N-O-W. Fact. We know that for those who love God, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, 
if you're leaning upon him and say, Lord, please forgive me of my sin and use your shed blood to replace what I owe. If you love him and you put your hands in his hands, you put your heart in his hands, you put all of you in his hands, you love God. All things work together for good. And then we're like, period, stop, make a t-shirt out of it, right? That sounds good. Just say that, right? But, but, but what does it really say? Uh, read a little further. For those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, again, remember the ones who are trusting in Christ, the called ones. Here we go. What is the good? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. He wants you to look more like Christ. He wants me to look more like Christ. For that good, all things will work together. You and I, we will look more like Christ. We will be transformed. The circumstances, good or bad, bad choices or otherwise, he will move us through those and he will be working with his hands wrapped around and watching over saying, I am completely making sure that you will look more like Jesus Christ. That good. That's what it's all about. It's not about comfort. So you can turn off whatever TV channel you were watching where if you buy such and such, they will send you such and such, and then your life will be good. Flick. Okay, please get that off. It isn't biblical, it's bogus, and it will mess up your thinking. It just is not about the comfort. It's about my king. That's what it's about. Lord, may I look more like you. May I be conformed to your image. And where I'm running too hard after me, let's stop it cold and turn me to you. That is the good that we're talking about. Well, I kind of like the t-shirt one better, right? Don't we say that? I mean, come on. I like the comfort plan. Why do I have to get off of that? Because comfort brings selfishness. That's why. Because it will quickly become about you in the midst of your comfort. And he says... We're going to be growing and shaping you to be unbelievably selfless. That's the God of the universe. Unbelievably sacrificial. That's our almighty savior. We're going to look like him. Let's run hard in a faith walk, trusting that he is conforming me to his image. He's making me look more like him. If we grasp the how, not controlling and scheming, and the what, I'm going to look more like Jesus Christ. We have grasped how to lean on him in the midst of the faith walk. That is where we need to be running. Question for you. How are you doing on not making this a buffet shop? A consumer Christianity. A, well, that's nice, but this is all about me and me thinks this. How are you doing with saying, Lord, it's all about you. And right here and right now, I'm going to hand over what I'm in and what I've been involved in. And I'm just going to say to your honor and glory, may you be praised. Are you ready for that? And I got to be honest with you. There's one piece I haven't said yet. 
more joy there than anywhere else ever. More unbelievable satisfaction in what God is doing in your life than anywhere else. I'm telling you this, this self-absorbed, it feels good, give me the comfort Christianity is, it's always ends with this. Hollow. Not paying off. Don't quite get it. And then when we get into this unbelievably sacrificial living and we're getting what God is doing in our life and we're handing it over, there's more joy than we could have ever. And we can't explain why because it's not about the stuff anymore and it's not about the popularity anymore and it's not about an entire nation thinking I'm beautiful and it's, it's just not about that stuff. It's now about him being honored through me and I'm looking more like him. And man, I've never felt more pumped and more joy and more on fire than right there. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're going after. It's a call that simply says, Lord, I know your love never fails. I know you're always working things together for good. I know you are an amazing God. And I want my heart and my whole self In your hands for eternity. Take me. Break me. Use me. Shape me. May you be glorified. It's not about my comfort. It's about my king. That's the payoff. To the walk with faith. Let's pray.